Welcome back to the Six Overtimes podcast this fine Wednesday, November 30th morning. I'm Chaz Wagner, your host, coming to you from Brooklyn, New York, along with my scholarly co-host, Scott Wildermuth in eastern Pennsylvania. What's up, man? Not too much. It's another beautiful morning, and, you know, it's nothing better than talking a little Big East hoops in the morning. Yeah, the weather's hanging in there, and uh, it even helped out those hunters on... Probably on Monday when they were out in their their bright orange orange suits, did you see? I think Eastern PA is a uh, a breeding ground for those those hunters, huh? Yeah, it really is. It's a huge holiday out here. A little bit out out a little bit further away from where I am, but uh, I know a lot of places have schools school off, and it's a big thing. I have never done it. Have you ever? I have never uh, partaken in it, but a lot of friends have, and uh, hey, it was a a state holiday growing up, so uh, I wasn't complaining. Yeah, I'm too worried I'd get Dick Cheney'd, you know? Yeah, Dick Cheney'd or uh, Wedding Crashers. Yeah, exactly. Quail hunting, I I just have that uh, image in my head from from that. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, Scott, today on the program, we uh, we got a pretty good one for everyone. We're going to be discussing the five games uh, that were played on Monday night, and then the three games from Tuesday night. Again, we are recording this on, on a Wednesday morning. And we will also uh, today be announcing the second ever six overtimes power rankings. And we're going to end the program with uh, a brief look into the Big East SEC Challenge, which is always a good one, and that starts on, on Thursday night. Yeah, it's going to be a good uh, event, especially because the SEC is pretty strong, and there are some really good matchups uh, to look forward to over the weekend. Yeah, and it's it's great that it's the weekend, so uh, we get uh, get some good games. But uh, before we begin, begin, I want to give a quick shout out to my uncle Dave. He, it's his uh, birthday today on November thirtieth, Wednesday. He's the big fifty-seven, and in uh, Pittsburgh, that number is—it's a great number in Pittsburgh, the Heinz variety, <laughs> fifty-seven. And he's also my godfather, so uh, a little shout out to uh, Uncle Davey. Yeah, shout out for me as well. Congrats, Uncle Dave, on hitting that big five-seven number. Five-seven. He's thirty years older than me. So, uh, shall we begin, Scotty? Uh, I think we shall. I, I think it's important that we start off with Louisville's win over Long Beach State. Uh, 79-66 on Monday night. Um, this game was on ESPNU, and it was it was an awesome game to watch because, as we all know here at the Big East uh, Six Overtimes podcast, LBSU took down Pitt on their home floor earlier in the season. So it was good to see how Louisville could uh, sort of interact with a team that's played against one of the bigger and more uh, better Big East teams early on. Yeah, and it was nice to see uh, Peyton Siva, Scott, who has been hobbled by that ankle injury. He really came back and and competed and held some of those quick guards in check. What did you think of his, uh, this was really his first kind of uh, solid return and, and good game coming back? Yeah, him and Russ Smith and Chris Smith all were really very good at getting to the rim and creating their own shots and creating opportunities for the big men underneath. I was really impressed with Siva's quickness, agility. He was just all over the place. And especially those guards, and and including Kyle Couric, in the first half they pressed full court most of of, uh, the baskets that were made by LBSU. And 
it really forced those guys into a lot of turnovers and a lot of easy buckets for uh, the Louisville Cardinals. It was it was a show that they really put on in that first half defensively. Yeah, you were. I didn't get to watch the game. It was on the uh, on the U. You said they looked darn impressive in the first half. And my question to you is this: They 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 said they were employing a full court press, but does this team have enough depth? Um, they've been hobbled by some injuries and whatnot. Do they have enough enough depth and uh, in, in endurance, for that matter, then? to do a full-court press in, in Big East play and as, as, the, as the year wears along? Well, it seems like the answer to that is no right now. Um, mm-hmm. They had to pull off of that full-court press, even though it was so effective in the first half. They stopped doing it in the second because of foul trouble for Couric, and I believe Russ Smith had four fouls, and uh, Diang or Dang or whatever his name is, he fouled mm-hmm. out. A lot of those guys, because of foul trouble, really sort of altered the game and altered the narrative of, of how Louisville was going to beat LBSU. And LBSU really had a good second half because of that. Um, so when, when, when this team is, you know, the, the full court press, when it's being executed uh, efficiently and everything like that, and Scott, when they're making their shots, with, which they did really good on, on Monday night, uh, can they can they basically hang with any team in the country, and particularly Syracuse and UConn? Dude, that first half was just supremely impressive for these guys. They did everything completely 100% well, and they were drilling outside shots, and threes were going in like there was no big deal, especially from Chris Smith. And it, it was... It was pretty damn impressive how well they were playing, and I think that they could compete with anyone in the country, much less everyone in the Big East, if they can shoot and defend like they they did in the first half uh, on Monday night. Yeah, I agree, and and a team that they're looking to compete with, Scott, uh, one of those upper echelon teams is Syracuse. Uh, Syracuse on Tuesday night, last night, they beat uh, you know a very weak Eastern Michigan team, eighty-four to forty-eight. Uh, this team was actually coached by a former Syracuse assistant. Uh, he was there for the last seven years. He just took the job this spring, and and there was Coach Rob Murphy. He uh, he took the two three zone to Eastern Michigan, and uh, he tried to bring it into the into the Carrier Dome. He brought that, but unfortunately, Scott uh, he quite uh, you know he he didn't have the talent and athleticism that uh, that uh, Syracuse that he was used to uh, recruiting at Syracuse. Yeah, not many, not many teams can, and and it showed in a big way against uh, Eastern Michigan. Yeah, but it's yeah, it's good to see that Bayheim uh, scheduled this uh, for Coach Murphy getting uh, getting good experience for his his young team and and him just starting out there. And so while the Orange, you know, they obviously dominated looking at the the final score, but this was the Scott, this was the third straight game, uh, including the the preseason NIT, where they had slow starts against Virginia Tech, Stanford, and now Eastern Michigan. They were even down 21 to 18 uh, at, at, at one point in the first half. And you don't want to see it. Um, it's not that alarming, Scott, but uh, they can't be getting off to these. I remember a really slow start last year, if you remember the game at Pitt. When they oh, played, of course. When they played yeah. the Peterson, it was it was like thirteen nothing or fifteen nothing. You you can't dig yourself a hole like that if 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 you're going to beat good teams. 
Yeah, and fortunately for Syracuse, uh, Eastern Michigan is not a good team. So I think that they could get away with something like a slow start, a couple missed shots early. But what they did do is beat the hell out of them after that 21 to 18 uh, small lead. And you know, didn't Fab Mello have a pretty good game today? Yeah, Fab, he, he played well last night, and he's had a string of, of, of good games. And looking at it even further, uh, the season stats, which are crazy if you think about it, Fab is, is logging more minutes than Scoop Jardine. Yeah. And it, it's it's hard to believe because, one, Fab Mello, we didn't even know if he was going to be on the, on the roster this year, let alone start and, and play a lot of minutes because he had some – Legal troubles with his girlfriend, messing with her turn signal in her car, which is just ridiculous. Yep. And then he had the the um, lingering conditioning issues from last year, and we didn't know it's if he was fatness issues. It's not conditioning. Come on, fatness. Uh, that might be Truck Bryant, Eddie Curry uh, disease, Eddie Curry and Truck Bryant and, and some other folks. Uh, we didn't think he would. He would. You know he's really surprised me, and he's even logging as many minutes as as Brandon Trish. Which, uh, if you would have told me at the beginning of the year, I, I I would not have believed you, Scott. Yeah, it's crazy. And the interesting thing about the Syracuse team is they're playing. I think they played twelve guys last night, so there aren't tons no, of minutes like to 15, go around. Fifteen or sixteen. Yeah, it's crazy. So yeah. to see Fab Mello logging a lot of minutes is both good to see for his development and and sort of a. Sort of, it's sort of an indictment on how poorly some of the other front court players are doing. Yeah, you, you, these lesser teams, you de- it's definitely ex- their weaknesses are definitely exposed in the front in the front court where these guys are just smaller and not as strong. But a guy, you talked about the bench. I tip my hat to James Sutherland. He didn't see hardly any time. His minutes really dropped in the Garden, and this guy easily could have could have mailed it in, packed it in, said. You know, I'm frustrated. I'm fed up. I'm not getting any playing time. This guy came back with 19 points in 19 minutes last night, and good for him for staying focused. And he even said in the post game, "Scott, I need to bring it every single night, just not not for his team to win. You know, that's a result. That's a byproduct of it. But he needs to bring it every night just to stay in the starting or not the starting rotation, but just to stay in the the rotation, just to even see any minutes at all." Yeah, exactly, and it's it's really nice to see Sutherland have that type of attitude, especially because they're going to depend on him for high amounts of scoring coming off the bench as their sort of six-man type of deal, mm-hmm. um, especially against teams like Florida, who they're playing on Friday night. Yeah, that's the biggest, uh, now that this, I think the biggest thing from this game was it's out of the way, now we get to look forward to Friday night, and this is part of the Big East SEC Challenge, as we alluded to in the in the opening. And I'm really excited, Scott, to see the Florida guards um, in Kenny Boynton, Bradley Beal, who's an awesome freshman, Irving Walker, and then the transfer from Rutgers, Mike Rosario, and see how they uh, stack up to the the top of that two three Syracuse zone. And I want to see Scoop Jardine, Brandon Trish, and I'm really excited to see how Dion Waiters goes up against uh, these quick Florida guards. Yeah, and I'm interested to see how much time Michael Carter Williams and some of those bench guards are going to get, and if Beheim's going to just play his three three horses against such a good backcourt in Florida. 
Um, it will be interesting to see how much trust that he actually has in those bench players and it, if it truly will be a hockey-like rotation where they're just subbing five guys in and five guys out mm-hmm. or if they're going to limit their player rotation to seven or eight guys. So a team that plays seven or eight guys pretty regularly is Georgetown and Georgetown beat up on IUPUI Jaguars 81-58 to on Monday night. Um, you know, it, it's an important win that Georgetown needed to have, especially coming off a great win against Memphis. Good thing that they didn't have a letdown game, but they certainly had a letdown first half. Yeah, is it... Um, we, we <clears throat> Excuse me. Scott, we saw this against Chaminade where they came out with a slow start kind of like Syracuse has been doing. Uh, Is this something to be worried about, concerned with, or just really, really tough to get up against uh, the IUPUIs of the world? Yeah, I'm not sure what to make of it, but when they were playing Chaminade, it just looked like they were at practice, and it seems like they sort of did the same thing against the Jaguars in this instance, and it's more of playing down to their opponent's level or playing up to their opponent's level like they did against Kansas and Memphis. But you like to see consistency, and it seems like they haven't gotten to that point yet. So, uh, yeah, I am concerned about it, but their high-end ability to really play with the big boys is really intriguing and, and good to see. Yeah, and to to play with those big boys, we we keep talking about can these guys, they held with Kansas tough, they beat Memphis. Once we get into Big East play, to stay with the big boys, can they play that physical game? And I say this because they only got to the line 13 times in this game, Scott. What do they need to do? Is it Henry Sims and the guys in the post need to look for their shot more, or is it Clark and uh, Hollis Thompson need to draw the you know get to the rim more and draw some contact going going to the rim. Yeah, it seems early on that Hollis Thompson's really just settling for jump shots and not really getting to the line so far. You like to see him try to get to the rim a little bit more, but I think the uh, impetus is going to uh, fall on Jason Clark and Henry Sims to really dominate the free throw line for this Hoyas team and. I think that this team's going to go as those two guys go because uh, Thompson's going to get his and uh, Starks is going to get his as well. So those are the two guys that I look for really uh, getting to the free throw line and, and making a huge impact on the game. Yeah, everybody always has to get theirs. That's what it's all about, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yep, getting their own. So who, like, uh, Buzz Williams was, was getting a, getting his own the other night, right? You better believe he was. Marquette uh, took down a Jacksonville team, 88-56, to and, you know, Jacksonville's not a very impressive team, but Marquette continues just to shred their opponents, like, just killing them on every aspect of the game. It's just, we continue to talk about it, they're 6-0 and now, and it's just the same story every time. They shoot extremely well, and they play very good defense, and you know, the the big takeaway from me in these first few games is that they're sixth in the NCAA in assists uh, today, or last night rather. They had 31 made baskets, 22 of which had assists on it. That's just 
that's impressive, especially when playing a lesser opponent. It's easier to go one-on-one, but they're passing the ball around. Yeah, I think Vanderblue and Junior Cadogan are really pushing the ball on, on the break and in trans- transition. And I think because they're so quick, so much quicker than these these weaker opponents that they've got three-on-ones, four-on-twos. And you when you get Jay Crowder and DJO um, trailing on the break, I mean, that's that's what's going to bring these uh, all these assists and really quick buckets. So it's um, do you Scott? Th- will, will they be able to keep up this this high intensity and up tempo game uh, throughout the year? And and will that translate into the the upcoming game against Wisconsin? You know, I think they're going to have to because that's how they play their game. Uh, I think they have a lot of guys that are able to control the ball and, and, and make sure that they don't turn it over. So I think having the excess amount of ball handlers, they'll be able to push it. Um, it's going to be harder against Wisconsin, who's really known as a defensive team and has mm-hmm. been for years. And especially this season, they haven't allowed more than 50 points just once and less than 45 times the other five t- other five games that they've played. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, you talked about Wisconsin. Is They're playing UNC tonight, and it's going to be, I think, who's going to win this game and who's going to, um, who, who comes out on top is who dictates the tempo. UNC is a lot like Marquette. Certainly, they do. You know, they got the awesome unis. Uh, that's that's one thing that they have in common. <laughs> yep. UNC wants Definitely. to push the ball. They're very like Marquette. Can Wisconsin and Bo Ryan's team can they slow it down and play Big Ten basketball, or is it going to be this this ACC get up and go? So from from tonight's game, we'll be able to see. Okay, Wisconsin was able to control the tempo. They'll probably look to do the same uh, this weekend against Marquette. So I, I I see a lot of we'll learn a lot from the, from their game tonight. Yeah, it's like you said, it's contradicting styles, and it's going to be fun to watch uh, how it goes. And you know, we'll find out very early on in the Marquette Wisconsin game who's probably going to win because if Marquette gets up and down the floor and they can control the tempo, like you said, well, they have the best chance to win. If if the game's in the 60s or the 70s, Marquette's probably going to take it. Yeah, and a team that uh, likes to slow it down and uh, more of a methodical way of doing things, to put it politely, is, <laughs> is our uh, Rucker Scarlet Knights. Uh, Mike Rice's ball club beat... Uh, they actually scored more than fifty something points, Scott. It's it's hard to believe that they could. Uh, they actually got uh, one ninety four to fifty six against. Uh, yeah, UMBC. Not not a very good ball club, but a win is a win is a win, especially for a young ball club like this. And good for UMBC. They I know they played St. John's a few weeks ago, and it's always good to see. I think they're in the America East. It's always good to see a team like this go and in schedule and play at these these uh, these tough places like uh, the Rack and uh, Carneseca Arena early in the year. Yeah, certainly, and and you like to see when a team like Rutgers can just put away an opponent, even though UMBC is just terrible. I don't know if they have a win yet, but now did Mike Rice get a technical foul again, or uh, or did he stay polite? There was no reason to. He didn't need that strategic technical where it's to rally the troops. Uh, 
they the team had 27 assists. They were they were passing the ball around, so n- no reason to uh, get on the refs about uh, about anything to to rally the troops. But what I think he why he didn't need the technical Scott was this: he switched up the lineup. Ah, uh, yeah, I saw that. He he moved out Dane Miller, uh, junior on the ball club, who I've been very critical of this year. And he also moved out Eli Carter, one of the freshmen, uh, one of the off guards, who had been playing okay. Mike Poole started over Dane Miller, and Jerome Seegers started uh, in place of, of Eli Carter. And I, I give credit to Mike Rice for this move. You see, a, yeah. you see a lot of coaches, Scott, they wait until the year has pretty much been, been a wash. You know, they're not going to see the postseason. It might be end of February. And they figure they'll put in some young guys, but hey, he did it even before the first of December came around. And, and kudos to him for making making a tough move. Yeah, and you like to see someone a uh, coach getting ahead of it and not sort of just like getting into this monotony of keeping the same guys in and and just hoping that the game changes for them. Um, I like the move also because Seegers has played probably second best on the team all season behind Baruta. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you said Eli Carter's been playing okay. I, I think he's been playing like uh, like he doesn't really know how to shoot the ball. So it's good to see, you know, maybe he's better fit for a roll off the bench because he's more of a jump shooter. So Hey, you're, you're finally uh, being critical of Rutgers, just, just like yeah. I have been. There you go. Now, there it is. Now you're there coming around. They're not, they're not a very good ball club. But Mike Poole, <laughs> one of the guys that came in for, for Dane Miller, the change worked uh, on that side of things. Mike Poole played very well, contributed 13 points and a few boards and played very well in the second half. It The move did not work for Dane Miller, Scott. He only took two shots. Didn't He wasn't very assertive again on the offensive mm. end. Did some good things on the defensive end, but that's pretty easy against a UMBC. But if he's going to stay on the bench... I'd like to be. I'd like for him to be that that spark that you see from a Jason Terry or a Ginobili, or you can name off all these these six men that just instant offense. Yeah, certainly. It's sort of like the, what Ben Gordon's become, mm-hmm. a, a old Husky. But do you see that this uh, roster change, I guess, is going to stay consistent throughout the year, or do you think uh, Mike Rice is going to continue to tinker with it until he feels that they're in the best situation to win? Well, I'm going to copy uh, or or take what Mike Rice said in his post game. There it is, because I don't know enough, and he said the roster is going to change all throughout the year. So by no means is Mike Poole going to remain a starter. Is Jerome Seegers going to remain a starter? Is Dane Miller going to stay on the bench? We have no idea. I'm pretty darn sure that Gil Vitas Baruta is going to remain the starting lineup, and that's the important thing. <laughs> I would imagine so. And, you know, we go from one team who has a couple of uh, decisions in their starting lineup in the Rutgers Scarlet Knights to a team in the Cincinnati Bearcats that are really set in their ways and are probably going to have the same five stars all season. Um, and they took care of in a Miami of Ohio team, fifty-six to forty-seven. I'd, I'd like to say it's a nice win, but Cincinnati keeps just barely skating by with these W's early in the season. Yeah, and, and the scoring for them, uh, fifty-six to forty-seven. You'd like to see more uh, offensive output 
for these guys, Scott? I mean, where where is it? Yeah, it's just it's not coming from the bench, and you know, it's it just they depend so heavily on Yancey Gates, and when Yancey Gates goes for ten points and ten rebounds in an uber pedestrian type of way, he doesn't even get to the free throw line. I just the team's going to struggle to get in, into that sixty seventy point line or uh, point mark, and they're not going to win a lot of games if if they if they continue to play like this. Yeah, and you, I, I think you said it was the guy. He didn't get to the line once. No, not at all. It's totally unacceptable. And I don't know what Miami's big men are like or or how physical they are, but I don't care who they are. This guy should get be getting in the line at least seven or eight times a game, regardless of the opponent. You know, it's just crazy. It's If their big men aren't that big, then he should be going off for 24 points and, and making 12 field goals. But it's not the case, and it has. I keep trying to make excuses for Gates because he's not going bananas in the early part of the season. But, you know, he just... He's he doesn't seem like he's being that assertive, and he seems like he's just another one of the guys. Yeah, and and he's not he's not one of the other guys with his skill set and exactly that big body of his. He's he's not just <laughs> one of the guys. He's the he's the guy exactly, and they need to feed the offense through him. And another concerning thing is this this guy Mavunga. From Miami of Ohio, which is probably the second best name of uh, players that played against Big East opponents the last two nights. We'll get to the other guys soon. He went off for 26 points. He's a 6'8 forward who was sort of a slasher, do-everything type of guy in the Chris Joseph type of mold where he could handle the basketball, he could shoot the three, he could get it to the rim. Uh, he created his own shot, and Cincinnati really didn't have an answer for him all night. And I think that that's a big indictment of, you know, Yancey Gates can handle the guy that's the prototypical forward center type position, but no one else seems to be able to guard a guy that can slash and has that kind of height and size. Yeah, it seems that you've been tr- you you've wanted to indict uh, a lot of people today, Scott. I, I think we were talking about. Another game, and you wanted to uh, wanted to in, indict that team as well. And I, I think talking about another team, Providence, even though they beat Holy Cross, Mr. Ed Cooley wanted to uh, indict uh, one part of his his team's game last night. And what was that, Scott? Yeah, Cooley showed a little personality in his uh, in his press conference there, and they beat Holy Cross eighty two seventy eight. And his in his conference, he said. From a defensive standpoint, I wanted to throw up, and I just, I, for his health and and for the safety of everyone else in the stadium, I, I just don't want him to see him vomit all over the uh, court there. Hey, it could be a uh, delayed trip to fan, you know, Thanksgiving. It takes some some people longer to uh, recover from Thanksgiving. That that could be it. But yeah, uh, Holy Cross, Holy Cross is a is a Patriot team. Not known for their offensive prowess, out, output, and prowess, and, and going off like they did. But you you could see a score like this, Scott, Providence eighty-two to seventy-eight for uh, a Keno Davis team. But by no means is this was this what uh, Ed Coley was trying to instill in his young Friars ball club. 
Yeah, and that's the most surprising thing about this. It's just, it felt like they got up and down the court. You know, you like to see Providence shooting over 50% from the field, but, you know, this, like you said, this is not how Ed Cooley is drawing up how to win games. He wants to keep things in the 60s and beat you up defensively. So, you know, when this guy, Dudzinski, who is the uh, aforementioned best name of the night, <laughs> uh, <laughs> right? Isn't that great? Dudzinski, that's amazing. Yeah, he goes for 21 points on 9-13 and 13 shooting, uh, and he's like a stretch four type, type of guy. That's got to drive Ed Cooley nuts, and that's not how they're going to win games in the Big East. That's not how they're going to win games from in the preseason. They just... I, I, they lost their sense of self in this game. Yeah, and and was it good to see? At least we got Bryce Cotton back on track after he had after he had that disappearing act in uh, in the South Padre invitation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Big Four went went nuts. They Cotton, Vince Coleman, or sorry, Coleman, Vince Council, and uh, Ladante Henton. Scored seventy eight of the eighty two points. Yeah, I mean you need just uh, crazy. If you can get, we always talk about the big two or the big three, but when you can get four guys really carrying the load, then uh, then it's always a good thing. Yeah, and that's that's how they won, and I'm sure that was sort of the case with the uh, West Virginia Mountaineers beating up Akron. For sure, the, yeah, that's the last game in, in team that we want to cover. They played on Monday night. Against uh, Akron, the the Zips, they beat them in a blowout, seventy seven to fifty six. This game wasn't close in the first half. Uh, West Virginia pulled out to a forty three to twenty win, and they prevented a winless streak against MAC teams for the Mountaineers this year. Um, after they lost to Kent State earlier in the year. Yeah. And Scott, a little fun fact: Huggy Bear was the Akron Zips coach in the mid eighties before he. Began his uh, very successful runs with uh, with then Cincinnati and, and now his uh, his West Virginia team. Yeah, I mean it's a little bit of history for everyone out there who's trying to follow uh, a great career that Huggy Bears really had. Both both coaches, you know, Huggy Bears now at his alma mater, the Akron Zips coach Keith Dambrot, uh was also an alum of of Akron. So good to see both those coaches um, representing their schools, but. But but uh, Coach Danbot was actually a baseball player, not a basketball player. But just the guy's an athlete, and uh, you know he can take it from the uh, the diamond over to the uh, the hoop court very well. He's had a good career there. Nice. Like um, enough that. with uh, enough with all the fun facts before the game. Let's get into what actually took place on the court. Uh, there was some pretty good guard play here, wasn't there? Very good guard play, and who you're talking of is is Jabari Hines, and that is the reason why. West Virginia won on Monday night. We could always say Kevin Jones. I'm sorry. He, he's always <laughs> a reason for the win. But this was Jabari Hines, by far his best game in a West Virginia uniform. He ended up with 19 points. It felt like more. He had 15 points in the first half. And there was a stretch at the end of the first half, Scott, where he couldn't be stopped. This guy was literally like Mighty Mouse. All around the court, on the defensive end, on the offensive end. He ended up with five steals. And like I said, it felt like he had more points. I thought the guy had eight or nine steals. He would pick a guy up full court, and he I think he picked his pocket a few times in the first half. He also has the ability to, a, guy's, a guy when he's driving to the hoop, he gets somehow 
gets his hand in there and, and strips the ball from him. So he's so versatile on the defensive end. You know, he's just really fun to watch, and uh, I'm not a huge defensive guy, but when you see that kind of defensive play, it's, uh, I, I was really impressed. Yeah, you got to love the fast hands, especially from a freshman who uh, is still learning the ropes of, you know, playing in the Big East Conference. I, I saw that Huggins compared him to Nick Van Exel. That's pretty good. Yeah, man, I loved that guy. Was awesome to watch. I don't. I, oh yeah. I don't remember. I don't remember him playing at Cincy. I was too young. But when he was with the Lakers, and then he was, we're talking about six men earlier. That spark off the bench when he was with the Mavs, that guy was nasty. I remember him when he was on the uh, Nuggets teams with the retro yes. jerseys. Yeah, he he scored in bunches. Oh Jesus yeah. Christ. I mean, I don't, I don't think Hines is going to be that scoring machine. But I think what Huggins was comparing him to was so explosive, can get up and down the floor really well, and even that lateral quickness, Hines displays that in in very similar to to Van Exel. So I gotta ask you, uh, who do you think gets the most double doubles this season? Is it uh, Kevin Jones or is it our favorite man, Herb Pope? Well, I think Herbie's your guy. Oh yeah, no, definitely. We've seen another double-double from Kevin Jones, and I think that's going to be the bet of the century. Herb Pope going to have more double-doubles this year, or is Kevin Jones? And my my lock is Kevin Jones. So I'll take Herb Pope. Let's let's get we can track let's get that. it on the table right now. Yeah, I'm I'm Jones, you're Pope, and uh, let's see how it plays out. Here it is, November thirtieth. From here on, let's let's uh, see who takes it down. Yeah, Herbie's gonna he's gonna go down with some injury. I guarantee it. <laughs> no way. No way. Not my man. Um, what else from this game? Uh, did you see Kalichka? He shaved. Uh, not shaved. He he got he got a nice nice Thanksgiving holiday haircut, and I really believe that he has more facial hair than he does uh, hair on top of the head, and it, it's it's just a really it's a really good look from the uh, the Turkish sensation. Yeah, I mean Kalichka's becoming a sort of sort of a fashion forward type of guy. Uh, it just seems like he's really displaying the full beard. He he looks like uh, an offensive lineman for the Steelers right now. For the oh that uh, well, he's he's not quite uh, Brett Kiesel. Yeah, he's getting there. But yeah, def- he's a defensive guy. If 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 you if you knew your Steelers, Scott, you you would have uh, <laughs> you would have picked the right side of the ball. Oh yeah. Definitely, I gotta brush up. You're thinking of Ryan Fitzpatrick, your Bills quarterback. Yeah, he's got a good beard too. There it is. Yeah. So, uh, like we usually like to do, uh, we we take our favorite players of the night, and even though Klitschko is probably my favorite beard of the night, I gotta take uh, this guy Mabuje from Cincinnati because this guy coming off the bench scored 12 points, five of which in the last minute to pull away from uh, the Miami of Ohio team and to really get the win uh he drilled a big three with only a couple minutes left in the game and without his play and his uh input from the bench these bearcats we would have been talking about a big loss and and the trip to fan hangover lasting for longer than five days and it was just good to see that Mabuje did something coming off the bench and his name his name too has to help uh his his odds of of getting the getting the championship belt definitely well, my player of the night is Jabari Hines, and he's so damn good, Scott, that he didn't have to come through in the clutch 
because he's so good that he he put away the Akron Zips early on, so his team could just sit back, relax, and enjoy themselves. And what he's he's showing me, Scott, is he's basically the anti truck Bryant. Yeah, he's a he's a sports car when it comes down to it. <laughs> One, he's quicker. lefty. He he's completely opposite of of truck. He's lefty. He's quick, meaning he's not fat. <laughs> he's efficient. He's an efficient field goal shooter. Truck is is horrendous from the field. I want to say Jabari is shooting around 55, 60% from the field, which is which is ridiculous. He's a freshman. He's young. He's got youthful, you know, uh, exuberance. While Truck is a washed up senior, he might I th- I think he's a red shirt, something like that. Washed up he, is tough to hear. Oof. He doesn't make dumb turnovers or fouls, which we know Truck loves to do. And uh like you said, he, he he's been compared to uh, an NBA uh, professional, and I've never heard any comparisons uh, being made. Uh, Truck Bryant to any of the uh, good guards in the league, so that that's that's my player of the night. Nice, and and both of them are definitely uh, worthwhile and worthy of receiving the championship belt. And we got some we got some nice games coming up uh, on Wednesday night. What do you think? We do. We have the city game. Uh, I think every city has a game, but the, in this case, it's Pitt versus Duquesne. That's played at the Consul Energy Center where the the Penguins play. Yep. Uh, that game will not be televised, but the other two will be, Scott. That is South Florida playing the VCU Rams. That's on the Espen 3. And then a hobbled Notre Dame team heading all the way out to the Pacific Northwest to take on the uh, Gonzaga Bulldogs in uh, in a late game on the, uh, on the Deuce. Yeah, the Zags are, uh, they're really tough to play at home, and that sort of leads into my two bets for the night. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm getting hosed. You, mi- you missed it again. I know. It's, I, Casper Ware, Casper Ware is human. We, we, we didn't think he was, but, uh, I think you're putting too much faith in him, and you lost your, your Louisville, uh, Long Beach State bet. You took, you took Long Beach State in that one. Yeah, it's not good. Not good at all. Um, so I'm jumping back on the horse and hoping that I can take these two games to get back and in, into the positive here. Uh, I'm going to take Duquesne getting six and a half uh, against Pitt. I like that. I think it's going to be a nice rivalry game, and I actually think that line's probably going to move up to about eight by game time. So I'm looking forward to that. And I'm taking Gonzaga giving ten to Notre Dame. I think. Notre Dame showed us that they didn't really know what to do without Tim Abermitis when he wasn't in. So this is the first game or, you know, first real game against a tough opponent uh, with the loss of him. And uh, I think Gonzaga is really tough place to play. You know, people have been saying if, if you don't pick up your game and start winning a couple of these games, Scott, that uh, you're going to be removed from your... Uh, Gam the the gambling czar of the six over. Yeah, it's it. my so back's you, up against the wall. Your back's up against the wall. You've got to start. Uh, <laughs> you've got to start showing something, or those duties and that that responsibility is going to be taken away. from Yeah, you. it's it's been a real rough start. <laughs> but where you can redeem yourself, or at least show some sort of intelligence, Scott, is in the power ranks. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. So what, what, you, let's you start us off and and tell us who is at the who's at the top of the Big East power the not the Big East it's the six overtimes power rankings for that matter. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, 
Yeah, I think the way that we are we got to look at this is that there's a couple tiers. I think there's probably mm-hmm. three or four tiers. And in the first tier, it's we got Syracuse at one because of their depth, and UConn at two because of their strong, really strong backcourt. Uh, we got Louisville at three, who looked almost unbeatable against Long Beach State in the first half. And then we got a Marquette team that's just been shooting the lights out, uh, but hasn't really played anyone so far. And that's sort of the first tier in one through four. We could even put, uh, you and me were talking earlier, we could even put UConn 2A and Louisville 2B. Because oh, certainly. Louisville has, got, has accomplished more on the court, beating Butler and Long Beach State, whereas UConn, I can see them host, hoisting the title in early April much more than Louisville. So, you know, we can split hairs, but that's that's how we see it. Yeah, exactly. And I think that second tier is probably the five and six teams right now, and that's uh, Pittsburgh and Georgetown. Yeah, it's uh, those guys can crack the, the top— they're five and six because they can knock off any team in the Big East, but they're gonna lose. They're gonna lose a, a, a fair share of ball games. And then in the third tier, we drop down, uh, starting with Seton Hall at seven, because they have beat Tulsa and VCU already. We have West Virginia at eight. Uh, we have Cincinnati at nine, and then we have Villanova at ten, and that kind of finishes rounds out our tier three of teams that are probably right on the bubble of the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and I think Seton Hall has the best chance to move down with West Virginia and Cincinnati Mm -hmm. having the best uh, chance to move up. But right now, it's hard to argue with that order in my mind. And, and, uh, you know, moving on to the last tier where you can sort of just throw darts at the wall because all these teams are sort of playing similarly. Mm -hmm. Uh, We got DePaul at the 11th spot. Notre Dame without Abramitis at the 12 spot, uh, St. John's at 13, Providence at 14, Rutgers at 15, and South Florida at 16. Uh, what do you think that we should be looking out for uh, with those teams sort of towards the end of the uh, Big East standings? Well, none of these teams can afford injuries, and unfortunately two of them have. Most notably, Tim Abramitis with Notre Dame. That really hurts them. South Florida we have at 16 because Augustus Gilchrist, their best player, is out, and it's and it's uncertain right now when, when his return is expected. So I'm gonna, we're going to keep them down low because their guard play is so shaky, so turnover-prone, and so unpredictable that until they get some um, stability in, in the post, we're going to keep, keep those guys at the bottom. Yeah, and I think the team in that grouping that has the best opportunity to move up is St. John's, just because yeah. on a talent level, they probably have the best talent out of uh, those six teams. And who knows who they who they get for the second semester. Any depth, length, and more contribution on the rebounding side of things will, will help those guys. Yeah, and it's, and you know the JUCO transfers and God God's gift especially will uh, continue to feel a little bit more comfortable as the season wears on as well. I agree. So that that wraps up the second edition of the six overtimes power rankings. 
Yeah, and it also wraps up uh, the November 30th edition of the Six Overtimes podcast. And, you know, once again, we want to thank you guys for stopping by and, and checking us out. Uh, like always, you, you can visit us on Twitter at Six Overtimes. Email us at sixovertimes at gmail.com. Let us know what you're thinking. And uh, check out our website, which has a couple of new features coming up in the next couple of days. Uh, you can track my bets and that have been increasingly terrible. Uh, that's, of course, at sixovertimes.us. Uh, thanks a lot again, and, and we'll see you tomorrow. See you. Peace. <laughs>